Arsenal Fan TV talking about Arsenal 1, Newcastle 7. So disappointed today, fam. We start the game, we give them five goals straight out the gate, fam. Everything's straight out the window after that. So annoying. We're not a better team than us. How many times do we sit here and say this? We were the better side. We had 75 possession. We had 15 shots on target, fam. And another day, fam, we get back in this. We were the better side today, fam. Just some bad defending, man. Hello and welcome to Let's Fix Football. This is your host, Gabe Ledra, joined as always for your weekly show by Evan Batier. Evan, how's it going, man? Not bad. Not bad. Kind of, uh, kind of getting close to the holidays here. Things are slowing down at work. About ready for all the travel. Holidays for me always means lots of days in the car, which I think I've told you about before. Yeah. We're like we drive like all the way to Florida, and then we drive from Florida, Tennessee, and then from Tennessee back to wherever we're living that year, which this year is Laredo, Texas. So it's just lots so of time in the driving. car, lots of drive. Like I'll be off for like ten days, and like five of them will be in the car. So I look forward to that. Yeah. Very exciting. Yep, that's exciting. I actually, actually uh, ironically, I'm also going to be in the uh, spending most of my time in the car this holiday season. Also, I'm driving to New York, then to Columbus, then back from Columbus to DC. So that's my move. Yeah, man, that that married life. You just Ooh. start doing the holiday triangle between all the brutal. all the families, and it is brutal. But you know, you you know those family obligations. What are you going to do? Exactly. I am. Well, what I'm going to do is uh, soothe my uh, holiday blues with a little bit of Faustino Seven, um, a very yeah. good bottle of Spanish wine. Uh, great, you were talking great about value. Yeah. yeah, really good value. I encourage everyone to go. I can get it for like nine bucks in my store here in DC. So that's that's pretty damn dope. I love Faustino. I love Juan Heel too. Oh yeah, also really good. Um, so today we're talking USSF. Lots of American stuff on the show today. Um, if you're tuning in to listen to us talk tons about the Champions League and the Champions League draw, not this week. Um, that's probably next week. Um, we are going to be talking about the U.S. Soccer Federation election because it looks like the candidates are officially set. Tonight at midnight is the official deadline to get all your paperwork filed. <laughs> it's not clear that all of the candidates that we'll talk about are going to get all their dead, their paperwork in, um, which is extremely funny and part of this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to get into it. We're going to tell you who you should be pulling for, who we think are going to win, um, and who the nightmare would be. So, yeah, all of that. Um, then we're talking MLS Cup uh, day game. And, um, yeah, so, so uh, we're going to fi- finish it up with some hilarious takes about the uh, about Europe and European soccer and a little bit of check-in with all- Arsenal Fan TV, bruv, our Arsenal <laughs> Fan TV friends um, who are definitely totally normal and rational and um, being totally cool about everything that's going on with Arsenal. So I'm going to take a big sip of wine, then we can get going. Um Mm. Oh, it's just so good. Um, all right, so we're going to jump in. Um, I don't have – I mean, look, we're going to get to the, the kind of funny shit later. I think that, importantly, we're just kind of going to run down the list of people here. Um, let's just start from the top. I think probably the, the favorite in the clubhouse right now, Evan, Kathy Carter, um, president of Soccer United Marketing, the uh, marketing arm of Major League Soccer. She's a business person. Um, really well connected in Major League Soccer. I don't think that she is like the Gulati, got quite the Gulati stink on her. 
Um, I think she would make for an okay, okay president, at least like because she's a woman and it would signal that the USSF sees its future in, in, in marketing the game to both sexes kind of more equally. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, man. So first, that last point, I really agree with. I think that, you know, she I think I mean, and, and actually, and I don't have a lot of awareness on this internationally, how many women presidents of soccer federations there have been internationally, but I get a feeling it's not that many. Um, but I, I, don't, mean, I don't know that. For fee- sure. I mean, with with a organization as sexist as FIFA being the go- governing body, right? Like, you yeah. can't imagine that it's easy for women to break into that boys club. Yeah. And so it would be pretty exciting for like what by all appearances, a very competent woman to kind of break through to the highest level of what is for non soccer reasons, one of the most important soccer federations in the world. Like even, you know, I could guess I could defend that hot take later, but I think it is really important for soccer worldwide, uh, us soccer. And so that would be exciting just on its own merits. I, and I agree with you. Like, I don't think she's terrible. Like she's, she's not an exciting pick by any means. Um, but uh, she's outside seen, of the reason that we've described why she might be out, cool. right outside of that reason. I mean, kind of in a, in a soccer standpoint, she's not especially exciting. I, I she's not the person who's going to bring, bring radical reform to us soccer, right? She's going to make some needed reforms probably to the equality of pay between the men's and women's team. She'll right. probably make some reforms when it comes to promoting the women's team and addressing fairness issues we've seen before between playing on artificial turf. Uh, travel arrangements, all those types of things. And those are things that have to happen no matter who's the president. And we're going to see that kind of focus from her, I think. Um, As far as like, you know, broader reforms, look, she, a critique of U.S. soccer has been that it's just focused on being a money-making machine. That's not alone to U.S. soccer as, you know, in world football institutions. I can't imagine she's going to be a huge change from that being that she's on the business side of the sport already. Um, But, you know, Money in the sport of soccer in the U.S. is good, and hopefully she brings people around her who know how to spend that money wisely to improve the technical aspect of the game, right? That's the key for her is who she's going to bring in as something like a head of football, you know, like a general manager type person to tell her, you know, here's the best way to develop players using the big – you know, fat stacks of cash that she can probably, you know, has the business acumen to generate. Yeah. And it it is important in this period where the men's team is struggling to kind of underline the women's team and maybe market that a little bit, because in a lot of countries, there's only one team that makes that country any money. But in this country, the women's team actually is a is a is a marketing draw. It's ticket price draw. It's it's um, people. A lot of people watched the Women's World Cup a couple years ago. That was a big deal. And I think that, you know, she will put the proper my understanding is that her platform is partially to put the proper emphasis on that in drawing in money, because that actually is an entire revenue stream that places like Spain even don't don't just don't bring in for their federation because, you know, they don't really feel the competitive women's team, which is an embarrassment. But it's a fact. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the best thing, the, the best thing about U.S. soccer overall is the women's national team. Like, there's just no question. In, in an international sense, when you compare us to other nations, the best thing about our uh, our entire federation is how good the women's national team is yeah. and how much of a draw it can be. And even though we are far from perfect in how we treat the women's national team by a fucking long shot, we are a lot better than a lot of countries. And just continuing to get better in that yeah. is a big part of her platform and is a really good thing. Like, we, it's not just because... 
There's questions about how much she will help the men's national team, which is obviously a big issue in this election. Doesn't mean that we can downplay how important the women's national team is to U.S. soccer success. And so, like, I'm just kind of vigorously agreeing, which happens sometimes with everything you said about the women's national team being important to U.S. soccer. Yo, okay, so just a spoiler. She is not the only woman who is running uh, for U.S. soccer president, but I'm not going to spoil who that is. We're going to get to her. Um, I like Kathy. Uh, I would be okay with her. She's not my pick, but I, I would settle. I think she she's a comfortable second in the clubhouse for me. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, I mean, just one last point, and then we can move on. I'm very sorry, but like a month ago, we were thinking we we're just gonna have to deal with Gelati winning a fucking reelection. So like, Good if point. we get Kathy instead, like huge goddamn win from that baseline. Yeah, absolutely. The baseline has shifted only when Gulati said he wasn't running again, but from the baseline of Gulati being president, the comparison, almost any of these people, except for the next guy I'm going to talk about, is going to be better. <laughs> yeah. um, so the next person we're going to talk about, the other favorite in the clubhouse, Carlos Cordero, U.S. soccer vice president, Goldman Sachs, ex-Goldman Sachs executive. Uh so he is basically a status quo. That's 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 just it. It's, he is the successor that had Gulati gone out after a not disastrous end to his tenure, probably would have taken over just because continuity almost always wins out in these things. He is absolutely continuity. Um, his plan basically is because he's not really a soccer um, technical soccer person. He's going to bring in. A some like something like a GM who will report to him as CEO, um, and he's going to explore uh, you know potential conflicts of interest with NASL and a commercial rights committee and all this other stuff. So, look, I uh, I'm not a huge fan. I think he's in fact my not my actual least favorite because we're gonna get to him later. But he's definitely the option the other favorite in this race and not not one that i'm i'm at all excited for yeah so like while i would be mildly happy if kathy won i would be mildly unhappy if this dude won i, I like i don't think it's a disaster there are disasters and he's like not a disaster but he is absolutely he's kind of a disaster yeah. um he's just not, i guess not an abject disaster i don't even know how low we can go but he's not great he, he would he would absolutely signal that the board is not willing to make real changes to us soccer like that's the frustrating thing about him if he wins it's like if you want continuity and someone who's been in the business and is like not going to be a radical change, but you still want to show that you recognize that there's problems, then you go with Kathy Carter, right? That's the obvious pick if those are the things you want to say. If you pick this dude, it's just a huge middle finger to everybody who thinks there needs to be change at U.S. soccer. Like that's his big problem. And like I don't – like – OK. So like some of his ideas I don't totally hate. Like I like the, – there's a lot – like the idea of a GM, for example. A lot of countries have kind of a director of – football, basically a director of sports, a technical director, whatever they call it, who is, you know, just a football person who is just supposed to focus on the football stuff, not the business stuff. And the U S hasn't really had that for a long time. And I think that, you know, that's a good idea. That's a helpful thing. We should have had that. We should have that. And so like the GM idea, okay, got it. But his biggest problem, besides just having 
like you said before, the gelati stink on him. He was just too close to everything wrong with that administration is it just signals that the board itself is not interested in bringing any kind of change at all to U.S. soccer. And that would be really depressing. Right. And it would basically signal that when Gulati went out with his middle fingers up and basically was like, you guys are going to miss me when I'm gone. You know, that song uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, that that the board kind of agreed. Right. That they, they thought, right. you know, what we really want is another you know, tenure for Gulati and they don't feel like they can give people that, but they're going to give whatever the, the, you know, the least amount of change possible is Cordero. And, and I agree that he isn't actually that, like, I don't think any of these people are uh, morally objectionable. Well, maybe we're going to get to her, but (laughs) morally objectionable to be in charge. Uh, But, you know, he is definitely my least favorite, um, Though it, it, that is subject to change as soon as Alexi Lalas endorses a candidate, as soon as that happens, that person it's game, will become my game over. favorite. So, uh, <laughs> very important, very important. All right, next one. Now, this guy is my favorite out of the, you know, out of the field for me. Um, Eric Winalda. So Eric Winalda is a former U.S. men's national team player. He's a coach, and he also is kind of a douchey Fox analyst. Well, and. and I think maybe I'm overstepping a little bit. I like when all the personality on Fox, he's a little fiery, but he is, it's a character, right? So um, he seems like a well-known and well-liked guy. Uh, He's not great at, I think the retail politics, which is why I think we can't put him at favorite because you get the sense that he might've taken a job higher up in this, like in USSF, if he had been interested in it previously, if he were any good at kind of the retail politics, but he has a lot of, I think, really strong plans and ideas for where to go with this organization. And so, for example, if you know someone like Kathy uh, were to take over, she could easily, I think, hire someone like Winalda to manage the direction of the the of you know MLS and USSF uh, to you know in, in terms of a soccer angle. So, like for example. His one of his best ideas: getting American pro soccer in line with the European schedule. Everyone Good else God, in the yes. world plays like this. It's very important that we get in line with the Europeans. Like this is a hugely important thing for MLS. It's and it's been a problem. Like it's not even just something like oh it's just quirky and doesn't matter. No, it's like actually been a problem. The international breaks cause more problems. The transfer windows just make it harder for MLS teams and European teams to do business. Like it's just all bad. It's and, and there's literally no reason for it. I I guess I sort of kind of understood what was going on in the older days of MLS when they just wanted to be the summer sport. Um, you right. know, kind of starting in the spring, a lot of important games in the summer where, you know, in America in July, it's kind of just baseball and nothing. But I, I, I mean, at this point, you know, have a little self-confidence, get the league where it needs to be and just, you know, compete for those viewers. There's and, a lot of airtime out there. And league, you know, I got to tell you, man, league self-confidence is something that we're going to discuss later because it is obviously and pathetically lacking right now. And you get the sense that someone who is willing to say, look, we're going to put out a good product and the product is going to compete with people. And I think on top of that, you can make the case that the average MLS viewer probably isn't one that's going to, is one that's very well likely to choose MLS over like early season, you know, non your team college football. So like, yeah, right. Like if you're, if you're a Portland fan, like, you're, who are you going to root? I mean, like if Oregon is playing on Saturday and you're running up against that game, sure. But like if they're not or if they're playing later or whatever, you're going to watch your Timbers, even though, you know, 
SEC football is on. Like you're rather going to watch the, the, that team, right? Or the flip side, the end of the season, you're going to have the MLS, you know, in this version, the MLS playoffs would roughly happen in May. Um, a time of year when the you would be going against the NBA playoffs, sure. But other than that, like you can get around that. And you can schedule other, against that. You can too. schedule against it because you probably have different fan bases, and or you just schedule. They there's two three days between right. uh, NBA games, like you're just fine. And other than that, what is it? It's early season baseball, which is notoriously boring and no one really cares. Like tennis, and, like what else? And, like what else? And is like going? yeah, I mean, NBA, uh, college basketball's done. Like, you know, so the end of season isn't really a big problem. So really, right. you know, what what's your question is like, are people going to watch less MLS soccer midseason in December than they would in July? Probably. But I think you're going to do better. You're going to still do fine over the season. And look, you're going to have to start winning viewers from other sports if you want to grow soccer anyway. So just right. putting it when you think there's fewer things to watch is not a winning strategy, especially when it creates all these other problems because you're not synced up with literally everyone else in the world. Right, and um, he he has other uh, you know policy positions. Uh, we we've seen them uh, kind of highlighted in other. Uh, a lot of people have similar ideas, right? This is like uh, you know a, a group of people who don't generally. So either people have no policies or they have pretty similar policies, and it's like. Well, let's deal with, I mean, the other big pressing question in MLS, for example, is dealing with the second and third divisions, right? Or at least dealing with how we understand the, the other non or, semi, or the other pro leagues in the United States and, and whatnot. And like, none of them are saying we're pro rail, right? None of them are really saying that. But if anyone, I think, is getting into that ballpark, Winaldo is at least understanding the the other leagues as second and third divisions and moving to you know kind of stabilize and get them to a place where MLS can kind of predict where those teams are going to be in the future. So that's I, I really I do like this. Um I like that a lot of people are talking about all of these issues, uh which is good. And I mean look, I wish that people like Winalda and and some of the other male candidates had more about the women's team in it because I, I really do. I gotta tell you man, I, I, I do think that Everyone who's not talking about U.S. women's soccer is missing the most important part of this program. Certainly, I, I guess I'm willing to give just a little bit more of the path of a pass, just because they're not like the issue du jour, right? So, like, they're very important. That's a good point. I, I agree with you 100 percent that a platform that doesn't discuss how you're going to leverage the women's team to make the whole federation better is, you know, has a huge hole in it. But I, I also understand where, you know, these guys, the question they're asked in every interview, it first and foremost is how are you going to fix the men's national team? Like how are you get, like the women's national team could there's ways we can make it better, but it's doing great. Uh, the men's national team is a fucking wreck. And the first the most important thing any of these guys is going to do is fix that. And right. so I get why it's front and center. I agree. So I, I like Winalda. I don't know if I was a board member, if I would vote for him for president, just because I have some questions about his kind of actual preparations for the job here. Um, but I really do like him. I, I like his ideas. And I kind of like what you mentioned where, you know, he seems like he'd be a really good, like technical director, football guy to be as a you know, right-hand man to one of the more business-minded people. Right. Uh, okay, so now that we've gone through, I think, the three really leading candidates, let's just kind of blast through the rest of them. And um, there are a lot of them are pretty funny. So, uh, yeah, we have um, convicted 
domestic violence uh, perpetrator, Hope Solo. Hope Solo, former women's national team goalie uh, and possible violent felon, is also running for uh, for U.S. soccer president. Uh, she, my understanding is, she has appealed, uh, and we're not really clear what happens with her criminal conviction. U.S. Soccer will force everyone to pass a background check. Uh, in fact, you actually have to put in your papers to apply for that background check tonight. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it, it's also not clear what pass means in this context. Like, it, you know, it's possible Hope's case gets overturned on appeal. My understanding is that she, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess Kevin, so Kevin McCauley is telling us she hasn't been convicted of a felony. So perhaps the state is appealing, but the state really only appeals conviction, like non-convictions when it feels very much like there was an error of law. I just have no idea what's going on, what the fuck this is. She seems extremely reprehensible and not a candidate that we should take seriously. Yeah, no, I mean, look, she, she, I, I can't imagine in what world she would possibly be a good candidate. And like, that's even like, okay, let's put aside the domestic violence thing. As ridiculous as it sounds, just put that to one side because that. <laughs> But frankly, is disqualifying all by itself. Like in a world where going on, what's going on in the world right now is where, you know, obviously a lot of the discussion is sexual assault, sex harassment. But in a more abstract sense, we're taking very seriously in a business setting people's, you know, personal conduct. The idea that you would make president of U.S. soccer, someone who's committed, you know, potentially committed domestic violence is just crazy to me. But even beside that, like this is a person who has never got along with others. Like she cannot get, she does not get on with others. In particular, she has not gotten on with the people kind of in the hierarchy of U.S. soccer. How is she possibly going to work with all those stakeholders in order to, you know, build the program? Like that's what the president does is gets all these stakeholders on the same, uh, the same level. So just from a, you know, just a interpersonal skills standpoint, she's never shown, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, any of the necessary traits to be a coalition builder and get everyone on board with reforms that are going to have winners and losers. And like, it's just an absolute mat. It's, it's completely crazy. I actually, de- I, I'm fairly confident there's no chance she gets the required nominations to actually be a candidate. It's like if like some reality TV show host ran for president, it's like, no way <sighs> is it going to happen. Um, but I will also say this, like, uh, I actually kind of like, because one of the things that her, her whole, sh- like part of her whole thing is standing up for the women's game and, and, and making the USSF take a little bit stronger positions on some of these women's issues. So hopefully at least she'll get the other candidates to come out in favor of that. All of that, which is, I think, objectively good, uh, before she drops out because no one wants her to be president and no one likes her. Um, all right. The next person I think we should chat about Steve Gans. Um, Steve Gans has been campaigning for this job for like 10 years. Uh, I don't know almost anything about him. I'm reading an article right now about him. He's, uh, I mean, my understanding is that he has a pretty comprehensive understanding of the way the USSF works. If only because, because of how long he's been campaigning for this job, he's developed it, but his whole shtick is about revamping the entire American Academy and youth product system, which I got to tell you, the one thing that America has actually done pretty well over the last few years is produce exciting young youth products. So I don't really <laughs> understand like why why this is something we're desperate for, but maybe you can convince me otherwise. 
Yeah, man. So I kind of disagree to the extent that um, we we've done a little bit better recently with youth development in guys like Jordan Morris, guys like Christian Pulisic, right? And, you know, even George younger, uh, yeah, him, uh, um, Cameron Vickers. Like, so we've done better with young prospects lately. Um, but I, I guess the reason that I think we need really big reforms is I'm not convinced that we're just not kind of getting a little bit lucky. You know, <laughs> we had we had a good youth develop, like we had a good youth class, and then we basically didn't for like 10 years. And now we are again. Right. And that 10 years is the reason we just failed to qualify for the World Cup, the kind of missing generation. Like I'm absolutely convinced that the fact that we had no players basically from class years like uh, their birth years, like what is it, like 94 to 2000 something, um, like even competing at all, not quite in 2000s, but like that whole class year for like five years, which is gone, like nobody ever made it. Yeah, like, like 92 a, to 97. Yeah, they just like did not – ever press for, you know, spots in the, in the men's national team. And, and, you know, I'm not convinced. So, so like certain guys, you know, um, I, I think Alexi Lawless among them have basically asserted, well, we basically fixed the problem and now we're identifying guys again. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that we have actually fixed the problem. I think that to a certain extent, it's just luck of the draw when guys are noticed, but we still don't have a comprehensive enough system to identify people. And even more importantly, even if we are identifying the good players within the system, pay for play and other institutional problems still make it so that our system is, you know, kind of not deep enough because we're not getting enough kids who want to play soccer involved in actual development programs. So I'm, I'm on board with pretty radical changes to how we do. I I buy that. I think you've convinced me, but I'm not, I don't think that Gans is my guy, at least in, uh, the way that it seems like he views how how this change needs to take place and what are the kind of things that need to happen. In particular, I don't see much about pay to play here. And I would also say that there's another guy who we're going to talk about now, Kyle Martino, who also feels his whole is building his whole platform basically around revamping. Uh, the USSF youth soccer culture and um, kind of going at these uh, amateur leagues. And he really is into the idea of futsal, which is actually something that the United States really has lost out on. Futsal is actually quite cool and it's a really good way to get players invested in the game. I think it's, it's a difference between what we understand this country to be indoor soccer and um, futsal, but futsal is actually quite cool. It's a different game, but it's it is a lot of the skills that you learn in futsal really are transferable. So it's it's the kind of thing that you can play uh, that fosters the type of attitude of people that play on the streets and in other countries, and and that's something that I I kind of buy, and I, I I'm interested. I, I'm I'm at least interested to learn more about you know what his plan is. Um, I mean. He the issue is, as far as I understand, he's never really held any management position at all. Yeah, so I'm with you in that I like Martino because I actually really love the futsal um, court idea. I think that it's, you know, what U.S. soccer has like one advantage, which is that it has a butt ton of money, and one thing it can do with that butt ton of money is build lots of futsal. Uh, um, what courts or fields? I don't know. What do you even call, call it? Them but, courts. I, I think, I, I think that that's a fair understanding because um, they're, they're more like basketball courts than they are yeah, like soccer. Yeah. Fields. They are. So I actually saw a lot of the, I was just in Southeast Asia this past summer and I saw a ton of them Right. Um, just all over the place. These kids in Southeast Asia in the cities are playing it all the time. And it actually looks like a lot of friggin' fun. 
Um, and um, New York City FC just opened 10 futsal courts as part of a New York City kind of soccer culture promotion program. They're going to open 50 um, over the course of the program, which is very cool. And so Waited having until we left fuckers. Yeah, I know. But having U.S. soccer, you know, kind of push that and 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 making soccer more accessible to people who live in cities where there's not just as many open fields to go play pick up soccer in uh, it's a really cool idea and i i like the idea um i like martino like um i i would not be upset at all if he won he has a similar problem i guess to winalda that i thought which is that you know i haven't seen him have a lot of the roles like you know being a gm of an mls team or something that would right indicate he has the organizational prowess to pull this off so potentially he's another guy who's he's running but maybe he's kind of really running to be a technical director to one of the business people you know get his name in front of the board and then be someone's right hand and potentially be a successor down the line right um yeah uh, but i like him i like what he's talking about um we could do a lot worse than uh than Kyle agreed Martin. um and all right so the next one is a kind of out of nowhere, you know, black horse candidate, um, Michael Winograd. Um, so he was a GM, um, and a professional player, uh, and he's also a New York corporate lawyer. So, uh, what I think that I've God, read, I hate, I hate those New York corporate <laughs> know, lawyers. They're all terrible. Um, I, everyone who's <laughs> ever worked at a New York corporate law firm is just awful. They're just terrible. I mean, they really, they definitely shouldn't have like soccer podcasts where they make fun of other New York corporate lawyers. Definitely. That would, be the height of hypocrisy it would uh and apparently like lots of journalists are talking about this guy i've read a lot about him um he seems fine he reminds me a lot of kind of these kind of bland middle of the road guys that <laughs> it's talking a lot about stuff like public partner pu public private partnerships and uh in you know tax incentives he's like the guy that runs for you know, your congressional seat that you don't really care about who says he's going to balance the budget and try to bring tax incentives to get small businesses to come back to your district, which is like, all right, fair enough. And like, he does like, that's all good though. Like that's all stuff that we want and like that we want people to be saying, but the problem is it's not a sexy choice. He's not a sexy candidate, but he does seem to be saying a lot of the right stuff Evan. The man is literally, as far as I can tell, applying like corporate law principles to how to reform USFF because or USSF because he's talking about this transparent advisory committee, which to me completely sounds like you know corporations use independent <laughs> uh, compensation committees and accounting committees that have to like dispel con conflicts of interest by having independent directors. Like, how is that different from what he's talking about? It's extremely so, like, good point. <laughs> um, so like he's just like bringing this whole corporate law thing to the soccer federation, which. I I mean, depending on how you think U.S. corporations are run, you know, might call right. it how you think that will work with the U.S. Soccer Federation. I mean, I um, read a really cool article a couple years ago about how they, the article was arguing that FIFA should be should register with the SEC as a way of like dispelling some of its corruption shit, which I think was very interesting. But it was like a thought experiment. And like, yeah. this guy's basically <laughs> primed like, to, to, yeah, to let's apply do that. those principles and to USSF, which, again, yeah. cool thought experiment. Like, I don't I don't disagree with it. I like the notion of transparency because these people are just flushing money down the toilet. And, you know, at least in the United States, we, we kind of have a culture that says, Hey, like, let's not be super corrupt in our soccer federation, which apparently is not a thing that a lot of other places in the world have. So maybe we should lean into that. I kind of like it. 
yeah, I mean, it, I guess worth a shot. And and then there's kind of this idea of like getting private investment in youth soccer. So my problem with this one is, like I said, U.S. soccer has cash. They've got money. We don't need I, private I, investment. I, right? I don't know why we need private investment. I don't know why private companies would want to invest in youth development. Like, are we going to have like sponsorships of youth teams? Is that what you're talking? I, like, I don't get it. And like I said, we have money. We have so much money. If there's anything we have, it's freaking dough. Um, so the question isn't like how to get money into the youth game. It's like how to invest it, how best to invest that money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways, I, I like him. Um, I'm a fan, but I have no conception of where, whether he's going to even win. Um, I'm gonna I mean, mention- I, I guess for me, like he's fine, but he's also like, how different is he from Steve Gans? Right. And like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know either. I will. Well, here's what I'll say. We'll deal with him if he wins. I, otherwise, I don't plan on talking about him again. Um, I'm going to mention quickly, apparently, Paul Kaliuri. Uh, yeah, it's not even clear if he, my man has even filed his paperwork yet. Uh, and so he, he, like, as of, like, mid to late November, he actually hadn't, and today was the deadline. So we'll see if he's even in the running. I'm not even going to mention it because my actual favorite, my man, Paula Point, everybody. There he is. Um, here here oh, he yeah. is. Um, Paula Point is, uh, directs uh, the United Premier Soccer League, which is a semi-pro uh, youth league. And he was a coach at, I think, his, like, seven-year-old kids, you know, soccer team, which, you know, fair enough. Like, my dad was a coach, too. So, uh, you know, fair. Uh, and uh, he's best known for getting into Twitter fights with uh, other soccer personalities. Um, and, you know, if, if we're going to put anyone in the chairmanship, why not put a poster, man? Like, post. Like, this guy goes in, man. He's like a posting his warfare type dude, and he just gets into these huge Twitter beefs with people, which is uh, which kind of rules. I mean, I could imagine how much fun it would be to have just Alexi Lalas and Paul LaPointe tweeting at each other for the next however long this term <laughs> is. Um, and just and just all hell world, baby. Yeah, just like all policymaking for the Soccer Federation is happening publicly on Twitter between Alexi Lalas and this dude. Um, But seriously, he's garbage. Um, He has this weird concept that it's the media tarnishing U.S. soccer's image, which is really the problem. Um, And I just I don't I and he 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 like. God, he's the only dude who's ever made me be like, yeah, I'm kind of on Alexi Lawless's side here. And that really, really pisses me the fuck off. Well, uh, speaking of that, let's go into the kind of new Alexi Lawless's insufferable drama. Uh, today, Alexi Lawless wakes up and he pops out his phone and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tweet at all of the USSF presidential candidates, as I do every morning. So he said, uh, yeah, guys, today's the day. Must have your minimum three, quote, declarations of support from members submitted in order to run. You got them. And, of course, Paula Point responds immediately. Um, I have more than three to declare. Capital T, capital D. (laughs) Just so bad. I declare conflict of interest. The election process is now in question. Does that mean it has been tarnished? What is it? Um, but what? But what does that mean? I just Who, I know what are you talking? So good. So I guess he's trying to say that the board has a conflict of interest of some kind. I right, and so the election process is 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 in. 
but what's tarnished and who tarnished? Oh, I'm God, really confused. I don't know. I don't know. And Alexi, what really bums me out is that Alexi Lala's kind of dunked on, and he was he like, really did. Are you going to offer me a job again? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is, well, this is why it pisses me off because I don't want to laugh at Alexi Lawless's dunk. Like, I don't ever want to laugh yeah, at a yeah, joke Alexi yeah. Lawless made. But, like, it's also actually really funny because this dude did offer Alexi an unpaid position like three times to quote unquote clean up the media. Well, I mean, and, and here's the thing yesterday, Paula Point once again offered him that job. He said, Alexi, Will you volunteer your services to the USSF to explore sectors of the media that tarnish soccer and now raise questions of conflict of interest? The I mean, dude is the dude is going as far as you can go without actually using the word fake news. Yeah, no, he is though, and like he's just trying to use Twitter as his platform to make like some sort of case, but like this isn't an election. So people, whoever your base is, isn't going to elect you over the candidates. Like you have to win over the USSF board. Like this is an interview, not a, not a fucking election, Paul. So I'm very excited. Uh, Paul appoint everybody. Um, Alexi Lawless has now turned him down over and over again. Um, Look, let's be clear. I think the American soccer media is in in some respects a little bit obnoxious for, you know, continually rejecting some of the more radical ideas for change that some of these candidates are talking about and that's part of it. But I don't think the idea of that these people are tarnishing the media that literally this guy got into the race just to hit one point. He reminds me kind of Evan of that dude who tried to get into the race a couple of years ago. Who was just like, look, I, I want to get in. You should elect me president and I will pass one law and then resign. Yeah. And it was just about like campaign finance. But this guy reminds me, he was like, I will get in and I'm going to like clean the cur out of the media. And like the problem is that this guy is actually just worse. <laughs> He's just like saying all this bullshit. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's um, that's Paul LaPointe, everybody. Um, Eric Winalda and Alex Lalas also got into a little bit of a tiff. Uh, yesterday. So Eric Winalda was at a USSF board meeting because, you know, that's where any of these candidates should be <laughs> and listening to the USSF board present and about the state of the finances, whatever he says. What's interesting to me, after sitting through three hours of the USSF board meetings, I realized that the state associations that stand to make the most money when I am president are backing other candidates at the moment, New York, New Jersey, Eastern Penn, Florida and Texas. So basically what he's implying, Evan, is that there's some other kind of motive in the way that these federations, state federations are voting. Right, right. He's implying that, you know, these guys are going to vote for, you know, you know, that he's basically implying corruption, right, in the process. Oh, no. Shocking. There might be yeah. corruption in this. Pro I, you know, I'm shocked to find gambling going on in this casino. <laughs> I know. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and like to the extent it's shocking, it's like whatever. It's 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 just like, of course, of course, of course, these state federations are being parochial, and of course, of course, of course, they're probably all supporting the people who live in New York City, which right. is like the contenders. That's sort of it, my dude. But Alexi Lawless gets in on the mix, my dude, and he says, "Why?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Alexi. Thank and then you, Alexi. Alexi gets absolutely owned. Uh, Eric Winalda quote tweets, I will explain it to them, not to you. Boom. Sit down, I, bitch. I like it the most just because it calls out Alexi for this stupid bullshit like tribune of the people we're always been trying to play in the in the soccer federation elections. Yeah. 
Like Alexi has appointed himself to be, you know, our representative in inquiring about these candidates and judging them and putting pressure on them. And like, no, fuck you, Alexi. I don't need you to do that. Um, I do not, you know, regardless of any of the substance of this, it's like nobody has to answer to you at all. Exactly. You're just some guy. Exactly. And and on top of that, I would just say, like, look, big middle finger to Alexi, but you know what? Nothing is better than ending a segment on USSF and on Alexi Lalas being a fucking annoying piece of shit than by noting how much Alexi Lalas has owned himself over and over again by responding to people who are fucking with him about his terrible music. And I didn't know this, Evan, oh, but if you yes. click on his tweet about his music, he has responded to every single person who has yeah, talked about his music. So I, I example, read the, I read every single one that I could that I had time for this afternoon. It is unbelievable. Like this is my favorite self own. So Brian Paul, some dude, it's just like great voice. The songs sadly are bland and lack real emotion, stiff and unoriginal. That said still better than much music out there. LOL. Alexi Lalas. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Bob. At least you gave me that hit on Spotify. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and there are a lot of others like very on that similar vein. Uh, and uh, like people are just kind of dunking on him, kind of like giving him these half ass compliments like, oh, this is like actually not so bad. <laughs> and him being like, yeah, yeah, thanks. And like this guy, for example, your album reminds me of Blink-182, LOL. <laughs> oh, and like he's responding yeah. to all these people like with jokes, like he doesn't care. Like, dude. Well, but I think it's actually even funnier than that. So I think so like, you know, anytime you read a like how to promote your content thing, it's like definitely reply to yeah. all tweets <laughs> and comments on your article. Right. And so his, his replies eventually did stop. But I think what happened is he pinned this tweet and he wanted to promote his album. So he's following the like listicle advice of how to promote your content of replying to everybody no matter what. Right. And what Driving up is, interaction. <laughs> and yeah, drive up interactions. And so what do you do when someone says, dude, you're fucking shit? You just say, well, you can't, you don't want to fight with this guy because that's not what the listicle said to do. So you're just like, man, you know, thanks for listening, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you clicked on it. Uh, and, you know, I, I may seem like a uh, ginger uh, thumb uh, with a, you know, I, really I, disgusting I, hair, but, you know, fair enough. I might, um, I might be a ginger Chad Kroger, but I really appreciate you listening. <laughs> I wear uh, suits that are uh, just a little bit too tight so you can see, uh, you know, the way I've kept myself in shape. But, yeah, fair enough. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, uh, how many shows until we're done dunking on Alexi Lawless? Never, it's so much fun, though. It's never. so much fun. And he's, especially if he's going to keep doing the uh, I am the voice of the, the, the everyman the, fan. Yep, the tribune of the people, man. That's who he is bullshit like it's so infuriating that like anyone who has that much pomposity get, deserves to just get dunked on over and over again which is why we're going to get to another classic take of another person that we love dunking on later in the show spoilers um but before we get into any of that there's one last <laughs> thing i wanted to mention before we leave this um i found a very interesting uh ohio law evan that they passed after the uh 
the Cleveland Browns move to Baltimore, which involves which, and I'm going to expand on this more in, in an article that I'm writing. But uh, basically, the law says that if you're a team that uh, receives municipal support, you have to give the municipality in Ohio a certain amount of time to find other. Uh, buyers to keep the club with the municipality. And it's something that was only brought to my attention in the last couple of days, but it, it actually is a Ohio law that's on the books. Now, I don't know. It's literally never been tested in court and, and no one knows what the next step is because how many times are you going to test this fucking law? This is literally the situation it was made for. It was, it was enacted for. So we'll see. Dude. Yeah. I, so I love that they have a Baltimore Ravens law in uh yeah. in ohio i think it's really funny no. like we can't we can't we can't actually keep teams here but we can blackmail you yeah um but yeah i mean look i the court challenge it would be a fascinating dormant commerce clause yeah. uh fact pattern to like for a court to decide whether or not this interferes with state commerce if you keep a business from moving by you know holding these funds hostage or whatever i don't know it's interesting and um, I mean, for just non-legal, completely personal reasons, I hope Precourt gets fucking sued. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. Let's um, – speaking of uh, MLS, let's move on. Uh, hey, because people played football this week. They did. They did. And, you know, we're going to get back to our roots, talk a little bit about actual soccer. Evan, Toronto FC 2, Seattle Sounders 0. Toronto has won the MLS Cup uh, deservedly. Like, Yeah, in, man. In really uh, – you know, I got to tell you, kind of a blowout. They are good, actually. Um, yeah. So, like, it was a fun game to watch, but it was a fun game to watch mostly because Toronto was just ripping Seattle to shreds the entire time. Like, they didn't score until, what, I think the first goal was late in the first half? No, second um, half. But early in the second half then. But they had plenty of chances in the first half that just didn't go in. Yeah. Um, they were running rampant. It was a lot of fun to watch. Seattle had literally no answers for Josie Altidore. And actually, as much as I hate to say, Michael Bradley. Um, but it was a, a great really, game. Gray hit a great game. Like, he was just dominating the midfield. So, like, Toronto was really good. And, I mean, kind of that was the prediction going into the season, that Toronto was just a way deeper, more technically gifted team than pretty much anyone else. And Dan was it on display at the MLS Cup. In the I would have, I gotta yeah. tell you, man, I would have loved to see this Toronto team play against Atlanta, just because I find Atlanta so exciting offensively, yeah. and it would have been fun because this there was a lot of space to be had at the back for Toronto, and you know Seattle is a team that kind of got into this round by you know playing a solid defensive game against the, the Timbers, and then you know uh, scoring a couple of away goals against uh, Houston, and like you know I gotta tell you, like I I feel like uh, you know it would have been a more interesting game if, if there had been a team out there that could have tested Toronto at the back. So um, sp speaking of the, um, the space at the back, you know, they didn't Jordan Morris came on kind of late. Um, and even though he, he did, you know, put in some, you know, put in an okay shift at the end of the second half, just wasn't enough. So, you know, Clint Dempsey just isn't the player he once was Seattle. Um, kind of really felt the brunt of that in its inability to kind of take advantage of the counterattacks that it was going to have to yeah. do set up as defensive as it was. So I just want to apologize. We had a little bit of technical issues on my end, uh, but I think that we got them solved <laughs> in time to hear, I think the crux of that. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I think that just to highlight a couple of other players, I mean, Toronto just looked so, so, so threatening going forward every single time against Seattle. They were, they were just 
absolutely crushing, you know, crushing Seattle in the midfield, which would release these really potent attackers and Giovinco and, and Altidore. Oh, uh, Giovinco had a great incredible game. Incredible match, right? And so what what really begs the question to me is, and like I, it seemed, and I hate to say this again, but it seemed like Michael Bradley was the difference in this match because there did seem like there were times where Seattle was going to break and he was just always there to pick off that pass or get in the way of the def- you know the, the the sprinting attacker and it was i mean it was just it was a tour de force for Bradley for me and and you know maybe Altador gets gets the man of the match award because he actually scored the winning goal but i don't know man i think that you can absolutely make the case for Bradley and as much as i hate it and as much as i you know would have <laughs> Love to see him fall flat on his face because well, and here's the thing: Dempsey also uh, U.S. Men's National Team choke. So yeah, yeah. Also Dempsey less obnoxious after the choke. So that's pretty much what my problem with Bradley is: is that he's been a pain in the ass afterwards. Yeah. But um, like I guess Dempsey took his booze, but you know Bradley complained. But anyway, Bradley I think is my man of the match. I don't think Outdoor get like okay, Outdoor was good, and like it's possible for there to be two really standout players in the same match and. Um, but, but I think you're right that the guy who was really initiating all of this attacking pressure was Bradley at the back with really good breakups, really good transitional passes back to attack, um, and just really solid passing overall. I think he, I mean, he led in a bunch of categories, passes completed. I think he led in tackles. I think he led in interceptions. Um, he was all over the pitch and just had a really nice match. It was kind of Bradley at his very best. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, was what we saw in the MLS cup and, you know, as much as Bradley annoys me, I'm, you know, I, I guess it's always kind of good to see, you know, players playing at their peak in a championship match. Like, that's kind of what you right. what you sort of want to see as a neutral. Um, and that's what we got. Like, Toronto, God, they're just so much better than Seattle. And it, it was really obvious how much better they are. Yeah. And, and you know, Seattle didn't put pressure on Bradley the way that I think of maybe a more disciplined team would. And the way to put pressure on kind of an older aging you know, center defensive midfielder is to really possess that ball and, and get them so that the, the team that you're playing and, you know, his team is in a a deeper block and he has to run from side to side to cover different space. And like Seattle just kind of went on this offensive tick where they, they would, they would try to break every play. And if you're, if you're a savvy, you know, older defensive mid, you can conserve a lot of energy and understand that when they break, that's when you have to be on, but otherwise you can kind of sit back, but like the, it's much harder as a player. Like, I mean, even, even now, like Busquets, but like even, even someone like Pirlo, when he was at, at, at Milan, like when you're or at Juve, excuse me. And like when, when you're getting into that you know that age like it's much harder to be the guy who's tracking the ball from side to side against a possession-based attack versus a team that's going vertically because you can still sprint right like Bradley is not a fast dude and he's not a particular he's like older and, and, and not particularly well conditioned but like if you're gonna play him so that he just has to make a couple sprints you know every 10 minutes or so any you know he's a professional player he's going to be able to pull that off what you need is to have him feel like he needs to sprint from each side of the field the entire time you possess possess the ball uh, horizontally and that's the way to play against a an older you know and and less conditioned defensive midfielder who maybe is less athletic but like against a Casemiro or whatever like for Madrid or or whomever right like you you know uh, N'Golo Kante like you're going to 
be just as well suited <laughs> trying to attack them vertically just because like they're not going to really tire out and they're still going to be able to close down those spaces. But Bradley, yeah, I don't know. I wonder whether uh, a more possession-oriented Seattle attack would have been better. Well, and I wonder how much the Seattle, you know, midfield is capable of pulling off the possession-oriented well, tactics is I mean, another question. Especially is... with um, uh, Dempsey, who was in the same position, basically, as Bradley. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, I mean, Seattle, they just— they. I mean, I, I don't think there's a tactical solution to the problem here for them. I think that it's a it was a talent problem. They were p- kind of played off the pitch. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, I think there were other teams and they were all in the East that really could have played Toronto, maybe not man for man. But like if you had a good tactical plan, I think they could have played him. I think Columbus, for example, did a good job in their first match of playing against Toronto and playing them hard. Uh, and I think that Atlanta would have had a very interesting time against kind of Toronto's slower center, you know, midfield and 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 back line, running at them just fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Atlanta, I think, would have had at least a puncher's chance of you know getting a big break with very fast players and you know exploiting that space that you know aside from Jordan Morris who came on late, Seattle just didn't have. So Atlanta would have had that puncher's chance of you know, kind of doing a smash and grab and stealing a victory, but. You know, Seattle just didn't have the juice for that in from the West. And, you know, it, it showed. So uh, congratulations, Toronto, who did the domestic treble, which is a thing in the U.S. because there's the Canada Cup um, or the Canadian Championship, or whatever they call it, um, to go along with the MLS Cup and the Supporter Shield. So they want a lot of stuff. And, you know, maybe for once we'll have a team that will do OK in the CONCACAF Champions League. All right. Um, let's also talk a little bit about, I think, some of the funnier and more interesting takes uh, about this match. First of all, Toronto finishing with 69 points. Very nice. Very nice. Nice. Uh, also, this is the one I really wanted to talk about. This was a day game. I just I don't understand the thinking that makes you think that, that, that the way to move for this, right, for for the MLS Cup final, like the biggest game of the season for your for your league needs to be a day game when the only thing you're competing with is early season college basketball. Like that's that was the only other thing on TV right now. And so like it's it's such a and we were talking about it earlier, right? This lack of confidence in this league to 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 schedule this match to start at, you know, 4 p.m. in the east. Like that's insane. I mean, dude, look, they were good. They might have gone up against University of Green Bay versus Missouri State, <laughs> Kennesaw versus Sam Houston, Wofford versus North Dakota State. Good point. End of season non-BCS college football. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah, maybe if University of Green Bay against Missouri State was Green Bay against Kansas City Chiefs, like then you have a problem. But yeah. that's not what we we're talking about here. Um it's completely baffling. I haven't the faintest clue what they were thinking. Yeah. I was shocked. So actually, so like my whole day, I planned my day on Saturday. Like, okay, I'm going to watch the MLS Cup. I want to see it so we can talk about it on the show. I want to watch it live, like whatever. So I like planned my day around this. I got up. I had planned to go run a few errands. I was going to play tennis with my coworker. And then I was going to watch the MLS Cup. And I mentioned to my coworker, hey, I want to watch the MLS Cup today. And she was like, well, what time do you want to play tennis? It looks like that's on at three. I'm like, huh? <laughs> What the, the fuck are you talking about? It's on at three. 
checked. Sure enough, I was expecting 100% this thing was on at like, you know, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. And I'm I mean, incensed. It, it means it was on at 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, 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 Western Pacific, time. Pacific time, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like in L.A., people were like, oh, well, I woke up at 11 because it's Saturday and I'm sleeping it off a little bit. And now I'm waking up and going straight to watch the final of the MLS Cup. That's ridiculous. And there's nothing to justify that scheduling. Like, there really isn't. Like, I think that it was like Villanova Gonzaga was at like seven. But like, if you don't think that you can beat Villanova Gonzaga in the early season Jimmy V tournament in Madison Square Garden, like, what the fuck are we talking about? It's been a really long time. It's been a really long time since I've watched a college basketball game before the new year. Like yeah. a long time. <laughs> no one really cares about that stuff until like at least the conference. The conference January. season hasn't even started. Like at least when the conference season starts, like you can start to care. But we're still in pre-conference play. Like everyone's in pre, you know, early season tournaments. They're playing cupcake leagues. Who gives a shit? And this is the inferiority complex of MLS that they're not going to be able to. Um, you know, put together a better product that competes with the other sports leagues until they start trying to compete with the other sports leagues. Right. Um, I don't have anything else to say on this. I just wanted to bring it up because of how dumb it is. Um, shout out. I want to also say to our friend Zach Goldman and obviously our man, Jack Grimsey, who uh, was also in on this idea, but you know, it's this idea of whoever wins the MLS Cup plays against the champion of the Liga MX Apertura. I think it's a great idea for a Super Cup, USA-Mexico Super Cup. I really do. I think that's actually really brilliant. I mean, hell yeah. I'd watch the shit out of that game. I mean, I think you'd get a lot of ratings just because of, you know, all the Mexican fans we've talked about in the U.S. before, not to mention the entire country of Mexico. It plays off of the U.S.-Mexico soccer rivalry, which is, you know, a really important foundation that U.S. soccer in general should be exploiting for the drama that it creates. Um, and to a certain extent, my only my only concern with this is how much the Amer- MLS team is going to get run off the pitch every year, um, like <laughs> they do every single year in the CONCACAF Champions League where they pretty much get smoked every single year by Liga MX teams. But you know what? Uh, that just makes it that more special when an American team eventually does win the, the uh, Super Cup. Yeah, and I mean, more competition, the better. So, Absolutely, you know, I, right. I'm certainly not against the idea. I think that if you're looking for just another match that you can put on in the offseason, um, that is going to be a really big draw. This would be a really good idea. Uh, all right, let's let's finish up here. We're going to just hit on our last topic briefly, which is uh, let's talk about European soccer and uh, let's let's get into our first uh, really just terrible take of the evening. <sighs> We're back, man. It's uh, our man, Registability RG. He is here and he is um, very much invested in the future of the English Premier League. And he has to say this, uh, elite managers, exciting players, big characters, tactical diversity, European dominance, locker room brawls, the Premier League golden era is well and truly back. Well and truly back, Evan. So, okay. So let me, so, so here's what I have to say about Mr. Registability here, because I actually don't disagree with him too much. I disagree with him in a sense. He says European dominance. That has not happened yet. <laughs> uh, the the English team, here's what we can say. He is right that a lot of really high-quality coaches, better coaches than have been in the Premier League in a very long time, are all in the Premier League. He is right that they have a whole ton of money and have bought a 
bunch of good players in the Premier League. He is right that we are seeing more tactical diversity in the Premier League than usual with teams adopting more exotic three at the back formations, you know, not just playing really boring flat four four twos. Um, you know, so there are things he is right about that could indicate the Premier League having a really good run in European football. And they did do very well in the group stages. They have five teams through to the quarterfinals. That's pretty cool if you're a Premier League fan. But the the thing is, the Premier League's claim to being, quote, the best league in the in the world has always been definitely at the top. They're like, oh, the deepest league. And you can get five through the group stages being the deepest league. And that's kind of what they've done here. The question is going to be the same as ever. Is the top of the Premier League going to compete and beat the best Europe of the continental clubs? That's what the Premier League has struggled to do in the past. And maybe having the top coaches will put them over the top more than it has in the past. But we're still talking about a league that you know hasn't won a Champions League since 2012, hasn't even really sniffed it since 2012. Um, and we just can't talk about them dominating European yeah. play until they actually start winning trophies. I mean, the farthest any European team has gotten in the Champions League since then was Manchester City uh, two years ago, right? Who who were pretty much blown off the pitch by a Real Madrid squad that wasn't even at full full blast at that point uh, yeah. in the semis, right? But I mean, here's what I'll say. I, I don't disagree that it's fun. I, but the Premier League, here's the the one thing you can always say about the Premier League is it's always been fun. Like, that's the thing. It's always been a league that, that hasn't suffered from a lack of big characters and locker room brawls and exciting players. That actually is something that's all basically stuck around the Premier League, in my view, all, since forever. Like, I, I, I mean, like, Eric Cantona jumping into the stands to fucking drop kick some guy like that's yeah. that fucking, Dude, fucking rules. the fucking pizza yo toss at Alex Ferguson yeah, in 2002 that's so cool whenever like, 2005 <laughs> it was so awesome and look it's great that we've got some classic Pep Mourinho shit going back down I'm really into it I've uh, been following it extremely closely uh you know look and, and of course, it's even better that they're in the same city. I think it's hilarious. I mean, you know, I, I was, I came up with Real Madrid, right? And like our Pep versus Mourinho era sucked for Real Madrid, but it was absolutely not short of this exact version of shit, right? Like this stuff that included, right? Like fucking Mourinho poked out some dude's eye in, in a fucking Classico at the, at the, at the camp. No, it was nuts. Right. So, yeah, dude, this is great. And I'm glad this is back and I'm glad they're playing in the same league that rules. And I'm really glad that there was a locker room brawl where Lukaku was heavily involved and like people were punching each other and someone got fucking stabbed like that actually happened. That's messed up. (laughs) (laughs) But like someone getting stabbed in a locker room brawl is not indicative of like a golden era of, you know, Premier League football unless your golden era was like that fucking really terrible like early 90s saga where like people really would get stabbed outside of stadiums well i guess my question is what the criteria for golden era is here because he's mixing different metrics together of like football performance quality on the field and then like entertainment value and if it's like you know but but if it's like quality on the pitch then we have to talk about how europe has or how uh england has just completely failed for a long time in in continental football in the champions league and maybe that changes, maybe it doesn't. We'll find out. Yeah. 
Uh, and and what really gets there for me, like uh, my my golden era of, of of English football, like in in recent history, because it's been around for a long time, right? But is is that like late nineties, um, early two thousands, like period where the the best of Europe were like Real Madrid and you know Manchester United and a couple other sides competing, and then that led into the era of you know the first Wenger era and the indef- in, um, uh, uh, unbeatables or whatever, invincibles at Arsenal. And then, you know, that, that whole you know, run of time with, within the premier league with Ferguson and, and Wenger, uh, you know, playing against the Galacticos and all that stuff. Right. That was a great era of football, but like, I don't even know if that's what he's fucking talking about. Like, I, I don't know because I mean, it's like, not clear what he's talking about. It's just about. not right. So, if I mean, I actually do think that right now, and it was a couple of years ago that it was true in Spain, but right now I think it's very clear that the best coaches in the world are in England, and that actually is a That's really new. good indicator. It's a new development, I also, think. What... It's not Louis Van Gaal, right? Like, at yeah, noon, <laughs> they're like yeah. some douchebags. Yeah, well, and I think that it. I think to a certain extent, they followed the money, right, uh, to the Premier League, just because the the ridiculous contracts that. Uh, for media rights, the Premier League's been able to sign. And I think it's entirely possible that we do see just a lot more Premier League success in continental football going forward. So we could be at kind of the cusp of a golden era for uh, the EPL. It's just, it'd be ridiculous to say that because five teams got through the group stages, which is a good result, fine. But to say that that means that the golden age has happened is completely stupid and actually something of a cell phone. Like, oh, we got a bunch of teams <laughs> through the groups. Go, go us. This is amazing. Golden age. Golden, Golden age. age. We're back, Golden guys. Age. We are we are back. Lots of teams through the group stage. We're back. We're back, guys. Uh yeah, I <laughs> that's actually a really good point. I'm I'm in. Um so let's uh let's finish up. I think we're gonna save the Champions League talk to another day. I have a lot of editing to do because my stupid mic is being douchey, but uh I just wanted to give a little bit more context to some of the uh, stuff. I know like we published, um, I think our best segment in a long time was that bit about Arsenal. And I just want to give a little context to my dude, Mr. DT, uh, who who was the guy that got in the big fight with Alan Shearer, which is awesome. Uh, And he, yeah. So he responded to the tweet that we were talking about, Evan, uh, where where Alan Shearer went into his own fucking mentions and like looked at this dude's analysis, and he responded to Alan Shearer by saying, "Thank you for going on my timeline, Alan. The point was that you said that Arsenal could not live with Manchester United. It was our own mistakes why they scored, not because they played good. Their defense couldn't live with our attack. The De Gea saved them. Again, go to at Spec Savers. I don't really know how that is." He also then followed up. He he just was going at Alan Shearer. Just because at Alan Shearer was a top footballer does not mean he is a top pundit. I have no doubt that there's football fans out there who could go on at BBC Match of the Day and give a better analysis of games than him. And I'm going to cut in some hilarious uh, Arsenal fan TV moment with this dude yelling uh, now. Also, Fan TV DTC is so disappointing today. Um, me and you spoke during the week. We were really optimistic. Mm. We start off the game and we just give them two goals. Yep. <laughs> I mean, everything's straight out the window after that, isn't it? You know what? Bar them first 10 minutes, 
the other 80 odd minutes, some of the best football we've played. That's the annoying thing though, it isn't it? so annoying. David De Gea could save the fucking Titanic. For fuck's <laughs> sake, man. It was like, it's, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. But we've, we didn't win the game, but we should. Mm. You know, and we've got no one else to blame but ourselves because mm. of the start. And it's as simple as that. We problem can't. Is, problem with football is two parts of it, right? Defending Attacking and, and defending. Yeah. And you know, well, the, you know, you know what it is, right? Against Huddersfield, they had a couple of little chances. They never took them. Against Man United, they'll take them. Uh, but he finalizes this whole thing, talking a little bit more about Alan Shearer. The blame being attached onto B at BBC Match of the Day pundits like at Alan Shearer are because he said that United were class and we couldn't live with them. The photo you just posted shows it was our schoolboy defending that let United in, not let United in, not their class. He was a great fo footballer, not a, not so great a pundit. He says replying to Ian Wright who posts this sh picture of shambolic Arsenal defense, and it just goes back to this whole thing, Evan, where they're so weirdly mentally, their wires are crossing here, right? Because it's like we're way better and we deserve to win. Also, we have horrible shambolic defense. So, so there's a so there's a cell phone in here too, right? Because it's like oh. United's attack isn't that good. It's our defense that's that bad. That even though their attack's not that good, they still scored on us. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly exactly the point, right? Like that's the argument. It's like, oh, their attack actually doesn't have yeah. to be very good. Your defense is so fucking bad that their mediocre attack scored three goals on you. Do you not see the cell phone? Like, I don't understand. And like his whole thing is also like, uh, uh all this shit about how like, oh, Lacazette way better than Lukaku. It's like, yeah. Just a ridiculous thing to say. It's like Lacazette better than Lukaku, better than Murata. Where's the best striker in the Premier League? It's so good. I And like, I just, what I don't understand about this whole, whole thing is the mental gymnastics to try to like justify like how, when you say, look, the problem was, it was our fault. We sucked. It wasn't like, that they were really good. It's that if you suck, then you lost. That's why you lost because you suck. You can't then go and say, but here's the thing. We actually don't suck. We're really good because you sucked. Yeah. The guy says over and over the best side, you know, didn't, uh, didn't win today. You know, we do. And then the, you know, follows up with basically, Oh, we spotted them three goals. And that's why the best side didn't win. Good sides. Don't spot the other team three goals. Yeah. It's not complicated. Jesus. It's like, it's so weird. Because like, I, I and it really does feel like there's this cognitive dissonance, right? Because it it really just boils down to, uh, and he talks about it, it's like, oh, we know exactly how Mourinho sides play when they're up two goals. They like shut it down and have good defense. It's like, yeah, but that's not a bad thing. Like they win, but, right? That's, that's it. The but whole that's the point. that's the whole no. But the whole thing is that this is just Wenger, Pep Guardiola, redistability bullshit. Where it's like, oh, we play good attacking football going forward and we're pretty while well we do it. And so we're the quote better side, like in this world, football, there's yeah. one that's going to win more matches. It means the one that's playing correctly, playing the right, right. way, you know, and they're going forward and playing swashbuckling football and creating chances that they don't finish. But you know, that's just unlucky. 
they're the better side who deserved the win because they played that way. And even though Mourinho's side, who doesn't play that way, scored more goals, they didn't really deserve it. Right? It's the same bullshit approach to analyzing football that you get from all these fucking head-up-their-ass managers. Right, exactly. That's that's really all I have to say about this. I think it, I think they're really funny. I'm 100% sure we're going to be coming back to them later, but I don't have anything else to add to this hilarious controversy because the match of the day, people actually smartly have let this go, and it does seem like the Arsenal fans have moved on to saying how good they are for beating some Europa League team six to nothing uh, and getting to the next round of the Europa League. So whatever. Yeah. I wish them well traveling to North central Sweden in the next round. I hope. Yes. Uh, Or, you know, look, and let's be clear, dude, the Europa League is absolutely lit this year. It's probably the best Europa League in history. And it's going to be really funny when they get eliminated in the next round by someone who's not even in the running. <laughs> I know. It's <was> amazing. <laughs> Some Swedish, like, Bruges FC eliminates Arsenal. And they're like, well, it was a really hard Europa League. Yeah, but not yeah, the team fuck- you played. <laughs> <laughs> the, Tot- Tottenham did Tottenham did get put out by Ghent last year. So in the midst of that, Deli Ali put in one of the more ridiculous two-legged tackles I've ever seen for a red card that held him out of half of the group stage this year. So fuck the Europa League. I hate it. And thank God Arsenal's playing in it. Yeah, it's awesome. But it, it's going to be great. And it's going to be a final of like Atletico Madrid and Dortmund or Milan. And or maybe Arsenal, maybe they're going to get there. But they're not going to beat any of the teams that we've mentioned already. So... It's exciting to watch. Um, all right. Um, so next week we're going to be back. We're going to do more of European style show. I'm going to see if Ernesto can come back because we do have developments in the FIFA case. Uh, yeah, man. Until then. Catch you later. Bye. Yeah. It's the real one, baby. I'm telling you. Southside. Southside. We don't set this party off right. Self-conscious, she has no idea what she's doing in college. That major that she majored and don't make no money, but she won't drop out her parents to look at her funny. Now, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so secure. Sophomore three years ain't picked a career. She like, fuck it, I'll just stay down her and do it. Cause that's enough money to buy her a few pairs of new ears. Cause her baby daddy don't really care. She's so precious with the peer pressure. Couldn't afford a car, so she named her daughter Alexis. Yeah, so long that it looked like weave Then she cut it all off, now she look like Eve And she be dealing with some issues that you can't believe Single black female addicted to retail as well uh. And when it falls down, who you gonna call now? Come on, come on And when it all falls down, man, I promise I'm so self-conscious That's why you always see me with at least one of my watches Rollies and postures that drove me crazy I can't even pronounce nothing Pass that for safety Then I spent 400 bucks on this Just to be like, nigga, you ain't up on this And I can't even go to the grocery store Without some ones that's clean And a shirt with a team Scene, we live in the American dream The people highest up got the lowest self-esteem The prettiest people do the ugliest thing For the road to riches and diamond rings We shine because they hate us Floss because they the greatest We trying to buy back our 40 acres And for that paper, look how low we a stoop Even if you in a band, you still Come on, come on And when it falls down, who you gonna call now? Come on, come on And when it all falls down
police, that's how I treat them. We buy our way out of jail, but we can't buy freedom. We buy a lot of clothes, but we don't really need them. Things we buy to cover up what's inside. Cause they made us hate ourselves and love their wealth. That's why Shorty's hollering, where the ball is at? Drug dealer by Jordan, crack hit by crack. And a white man get paid off for all of that. But I ain't even gon' act. Totally other than that, cause fuck it I went to Jacob with 25 down Before I had a house and I'd do it again Cause I wanna be on 106 and park Wishing the bands I wanna act all horrific like it's all terrific I got a couple pass through bills, I won't get specific I got a problem with spending before I get it We all self-conscious, I'm just the first to admit Yeah, come on, come on And when it falls down, who you gonna call now? Come on, come on And when it all falls down Can't keep working like this. This grave shift is like a slave ship.